Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Greetings comrades and welcome to the Eastern Border. Today I'm going to diss our first Prime Minister and the first leader of the nation. See, the thing is, there's a lot of people in our country who would like to idolize Carla Sullivan, who was basically our George Washington. Problem is that I consider that to be wrong. For starters, I'm not even going to mention the fact that he decided to do the non-aggression thing with the Soviet Union, and thus we never even resisted them properly. That's going to go into the background. It's not about that, really. What happened in the 18th of November, how it happened, and um, who the man was, and why he's idolized. Anate, by the way, for you, has compiled a bit of a history of the 18th of November, facts to go on to this, so go check out her YouTube channel, as you always should, because she does the best work at all of this situation, but um, I'm a bit tired when my own people idolize the wrong kind of people in a way and even though we truly had our highest times the best we ever lived in the history of Latvia in uh, Ulmanis times we still have to look at it critically and think about it for starters this episode like I said is about 18th of November but why is this day so special why is this our independence day and what happened and when well I spoke with some people and um Turns out it probably shouldn't be, to be honest. It's a bit more complex than that. And to understand what's going on, we have to get through to um, who Carlos Ullmanis was. Technically, his full name is Carlos August Wilhelms Ullmanis, and he was born on 4th of September 1877, uh, died sometime in 1942, and we still haven't found his grave, really. See, and I'm using wiki now because it's just going to be a short study here. 
He was born in a prosperous farming family, and he studied agriculture at the Swiss Federal Institute of Zurich and Leipzig University. He then worked in Laffey as a writer, lecturer, and manager in agricultural positions. He was active in the 1905 revolution, was briefly imprisoned in Pskov, and subsequently fled Latvia to avoid incarceration by the Russian authorities. During this period of exile, Ullman studied at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln in the United States, where, even though Wikipedia states he earned a Bachelor of Science degree, mm, that's also disputed. After working briefly at that university's lecturer, Ullman is moved to Houston, Texas. The dairy business he had bought there ran into financial difficulties. Ullman is returned to Latvia from American exile in 1913 after being informed that it was now safe for political exiles to return due to the declaration of general amnesty by our good old friend Nikki II. This safety was short-lived as World War I broke out one year later and Kurland governorate was partially occupied by Germany in 1915. Now, here's the thing. He um, managed to be a student of University of Nebraska, right? After this, he basically gave himself a doctorate, even though he never finished one. It is the weirdest part of his whole life, because he just returned to Latvia and declared himself a PhD in agriculture. Another fact is that even though he's our national hero, and, uh, well, a lot of people here are homophobic, quite a lot of things state that he was probably a homosexual person. Because, for example, when one's asked why he's not married or has not had a significant other, his response was, quote, I am married to Latvia and that's enough for me. And there have been a lot of rumors over his sexuality, but, like, that's not the point of the story. The point is that he was also um, a super arrogant person. And apparently Ulmanis also had close relationships with his two male employees, and they were also fueled by Ulmanis himself, not giving any information about his personal life. He did not have any offspring, although his brother did, with uh, our most failed president, Guntus Ulmanis, grandson of Carlos Ulmanis' brother, being one of our presidents after the restoration of Latvia. However, the trick here is the fact that he was a person who was very obsessed with himself, and like I said, he never earned a doctorate. He just gave one to himself. And, yeah, he'd do a coup later on in 1935. But again, I have spoken about this in my previous episodes, so I won't return to the coup. It's just that it's a fun fact that we still celebrate November 18th of 1918 as our Independence Day. Although, by that point, our foreign minister had already achieved recognition from the United Kingdom. And, uh, well, that guy, Siegfried Sandomirovitz, probably deserves a mention of his own. And yeah, his middle name is Anna, because at that point uh, it was still common to give middle names to Latvian men. And that was his mother's name, but yeah. Technically, Latvian independence was proclaimed on the 15th of November in Tartu, Estonia, in the Tartu University, among the people being over there. Problem being, was that Ulmanis, who was among the leading people of the time, and just um, working around to become one of the lead political figures of the era, yeah, he was not there, and he would not have that. He simply would not allow 
something as important as having independent Latvia proclaimed to happen without him. Now to fast forward a bit, and I have spoken a lot about this in my episodes on the communist civil war and the wars after Lenin and all that civil disturbance stuff in what we used to call the Russian Empire. Well, not like he was super successful and um, he made a lot of mistakes during this time, but technically speaking, Latvia was declared in Tartu in... November 15th of 1918, but Mr. Ulmanis, who had already proclaimed himself to be a doctor, even though he was not, and um, he would also later go on to do some fabulous displays of power and whatever, because that's just what Ulmanis did, right? He wanted a ceremony that would honor himself, basically, where he would participate and play a central role in. Now, that is the problem. The place itself, well, as it stood, it was the previous National Theater House. The Central Russian Theater, which is now known as the Latvian National Theater. And then, on the 1918th, the proclamation of independence from the Russian Empire happened with Karl Solmanis being there. But, um, at that point, Latvia had already been at least de facto, admitted to exist and being an independent country by at least four other countries, and the first of which being United Kingdom, and again, thanks to Siegfried Sandomirovitz for that. Now, as you probably have heard, it didn't really go that well for us at the beginning. See, on the 18th of November 1918, the People's Council of Latvia proclaimed the independence of Republic of Latvia and created the Latvian Provisional Government, headed by, guess who? Karl Sulmanis. Because he just had to be the one in power. On the 1st of December 1918, the newly proclaimed republic was invaded by Soviet Russia. Much of the invading army in Latvia consisted of red Latvian riflemen, which made the invasion easier. The Soviet offensive met very little resistance. In the north, Auxne, one of our northern Latgalian towns, was taken on the 7th of December, Valka on the 18th of December, and Cesis on the 23rd of December. In the south, Daugopils, our southernmost town, was taken on 9th of December, and finally Pljavinas, another kind of town closer to Riga that was all of Latgale, on the 17th of December. Riga, our capital, was captured by the Red Army on the 3rd January of 1919. By the end of the January, the Latvian Provisional Government and remaining German units had retreated all the way to Liepaja, which is on the very western coast of Latvia, but then the Red Offensive stalled along the Vanta River. The Latvian Socialist Soviet Republic was officially proclaimed on the 13th of January with the political, economic and military backing of Soviet Russia. Then, well, things started to happen. On the 18th of February, 1919, an agreement was signed between Latvia and Estonia, starting the formation of the North Latvia Brigade, led by one Georgis Zemitans on Estonian territory. On March 3rd, the German and Latvian forces commenced a counterattack against the Red Latvian riflemen. Tukums was recaptured from the Bolsheviks on the 15th of March and Yalgov on 18th of March. On the 16th of April, the Baltic nobility, which all consisted of Germans, organized a coup d'etat in Liepai and a puppet government headed by Andrei Vsnider was established, so now we're in a three-way war. 
The provisional national government took refuge aboard the steamship Saratov under British protection in Liepai Harbour. On the 22nd of May, Riga was recaptured by the Freikorps and an organized persecution of suspected Bolshevik supporters began with an estimated 174, according to the Riga's gendarmerie, to four to 5,000 people, according to local social democrats and communists, being shot. At the same time, the Estonian army, including the North Latvian Brigade, loyal to Ullmann's government, started the major offensive against the Soviets in North Latvia. By the middle of the June, the Soviet rule was reduced to the area surrounding Latgale, where their first uh, invasions happened. After the capture of Riga, the German forces advanced north towards the Latvian city of Cesis. The objective of the German forces has now clearly became the establishment of German supremacy in the Baltic by eliminating the Estonian military and the Latvian national units, and not, specifically not, the defeat of Bolsheviks. The Estonian commander, General Johann Leidoner, insisted the Germans withdraw to a line south of the Gauja River, he also ordered the Estonian 3rd Division to seize the Gulben Railroad Station. On the June 19, 1919, the Landeswehr and the Iron Division launched an attack to capture Tesis. Initially, the Freikorps captured the town of Straupe and continued their advance toward the town of Limbaje. The Estonians launched a counterattack and drove the Freikorps south of the town. On June 21st, the Estonians received reinforcements and immediately attacked the Landeswehr under Alfred Fletcher, who was forced to withdraw from an area to the northeast of Texas. Iron Division attacked from Straupe towards Stalbe in an effort to relieve pressure to the Landeswehr. On the morning of June 23rd, the Germans began a general retreat toward Riga. The Allies again insisted that the Germans withdraw their remaining troops from Latvia and on July the 3rd intervened to impose an armistice between Estonia, Latvia, Landeswehr and Freikorps when the Latvians were about to march into Riga. By its terms, the legitimate government of, hey, guess who, Ulmanis, as they deemed him so, even though at one point he was really reduced to be a single man on a boat, protected by, um, well, the British and no one else. Yeah, the legitimate government of Ulmanis was to be restored. The Baltic German Landeswehr should be placed under the command of the British officer Harold Alexander and the Iron Division was to leave Latvia. The government of Ulmanis returned to Riga on the 8th of July 1919 and the Landeswehr became a component of the Latvian National Army. The Iron Division, however, did not leave Latvia. Instead, Mayor Bischoff created the German Legion from over a dozen of Freikorps units and turned the units over to the West Russian Volunteer Army, commanded by, well, Bermont. Bermont, being an ex-bishop, very white, kind of crazy person whom we fought, yeah, because that was just a bit crazy. In total, the Islanders transferred over 14,000 men, 64 aircraft, 56 artillery pieces, and 156 machine guns. Six cavalry units and a field hospital were also transferred. The offensive by the reformed, well, basically, German army was subsequently defeated by the Latvian army in the 11th of November in the Bermontiad battles, which was kind of crazy because we were outnumbered and it was just wow. And uh, we have a movie on this called Riga Sargi, if you want to watch it, but it was the harshest fights we've got. But we still have to admit that we received assistance from British and French warships and some Estonian armored trains. Because Estonian armored trains are a thing, and you should never underestimate them. When it comes to fighting the Reds, Estonian armored trains provide the best support.
And after that, uh, in 1922, we signed a peace treaty with the Soviet Union. There were still some intermingling with the Lithuanian and the Polish forces. But, yeah, it all began, as unofficial histories would like to say, in the 18th of November of 1918. However, if you think about this, most of this could have been avoided if Ulmanis had just a bit of self-control, if I would say. You see, I, I've spoken with some people from the era, the few survivors, and, like, not like they even want to talk to me that much because they're extremely old, but at the time when this whole independence thing happened, a lot of people here were really pro-Soviet, and if you remember my Lenin series, then you should also know that Latvian Red Riflemen existed. And these people were loyal to Lenin. <laughs> Heck, Latvian Red Riflemen were Lenin's first guard unit. Latvian Red Riflemen and uh, some nice sailors from St. Petersburg basically won the war for the Soviet Union during their own civil war strife. Not like Ulmanis government was super popular, it was just by the Latvian city bourgeoisie and even though agricultural reforms happened later, which were deemed super, super terrible by the German nobility, technically I should be angry about it too because I'm a part of it, but hey, my lands were taken by the Russians from Königsberg, so not my house, but who cares. At any rate, Ulmanis is certainly not just a positive figure here. Ulmanis wanted to proclaim this country in the date that he would be available to even though he did a lot for our country, he certainly was not the savior or the great general that we expected to. If you look at any actual battles fought, you will not see the name of Ulmanis there at any point. Unlike George Washington, who fought his own battles and was known for, well, if you follow the Revolutions podcast, then you know that um, George Washington at least had a very, very distributed and nice while you're retreating. George Washington knew when to pull his losses, retreat properly, and then give him a nice little face punch in the next battle. Ulmanis never fought. Ulmanis never did anything like that. In fact, he also was a teetotaler, tried to limit the alcohol production as much as he could, and at the same time, just after the First World War, he was also one of the reasons why, due to his absolute hatred of alcohol in any way or form, why the little-known morphine addiction in Latvia happened. Because after the First World War, you know, a lot of soldiers came home, a lot of them were addicted to morphine. Ulmanis, well, he never fought himself. He was a fake doctor who just wanted some glory, and he was an economist for sure, and... Like I said, his rules remembered is a great one. But here, again, I highly doubt that there was actually anything he did. I think it was more of his aides. However, what he did is by his teetotaling, he exacerbated the whole morphine crisis in Latvia. Which made it quite a bit worse than it could have been. Hey guys, Annette here. I hope you are enjoying our new episode of The Eastern Border. As always, a big thank you to all of our Patreons. The show would not be possible without your help. If you are not a Patreon and would like to become one, head over to the Eastern Border page on patreon.com. 
Please remember to also follow us on our social media, like Twitter, where we are known as Eastern underscore Border, and on our Facebook page. We also have a Discord server, so if you're interested in that, find the link in the description of this podcast. That's it for now. See you online. This podcast brought to you by RussianVoiceOvers.eu. Enjoy. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you chiching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. And now back to Ulmanis and the people whom I actually interviewed. You see, Carlos Ulmanis, even though he's... I want to compare him to George Washington all the time, but I know that I have listeners from many other countries and they think otherwise, and maybe they have their own leaders. But over here, Carlos Ulmanis is somewhat of a massive, massive figure, you see. And I want to challenge this fact. I want to challenge this whole assumption because I interviewed people and um, they told me what their parents told them. At the time... A lot of people really wanted to join the USSR. A lot of people wanted the Baltic nobility to remain in place. A lot of people did not even want this whole Umar's government to succeed. There was a challenge there, and it was basically picked up as the best of the worst choices, as usual. In the end, if you think about it, then the fact that Laffey exists today, and that we have denied the opportunity because due to this... Estonian help in uh, the wars, we um, basically cut off the, well, due to how we signed the peace treaty with them, we cut off even the idea of uh, signing a federation deal with them, and that was just terrible. A guy who has been glorified as our national leader, and who has been the utmost person on Latvia to provide any sufficient political leadership, who was a teetotaler, and at that time ignored the massive morphine addiction. Well, I just don't think that he deserves the recognition that he does get today. In each of our country's histories, no matter where you live in, there's a dark spot and there are some people that would like to claim to be the best nationality there is ever on the planet Earth, who had driven your country to greatness and had done great things with it. Some of it may be true, but even in the history of the most greatest people around there, specifically even when it comes to your own independence from something or just uh, the creation of your national nation-state as general, there are some uh, bad spots. That's what I wanted to talk about this time. But um, yeah, this is going to be a bit short because, uh, well, national holiday incoming. Sorry, guys, I am not going to do a lot of time 
with all the situation, and I'm going to get my computer fixed very soon, and it's going to get better next time. Um, again, because still, a bit of computer problems. One thing that I like to finish, though, with uh, is the fact that um, in political news, well, besides all the history that I've did this time, and like I said, the people that I interviewed were not very happy with Ullman's regime, and a lot of them wanted to join the Soviets and the Baltic nobles. However, in Russia, in Karelia district, they're uh, opening a governmental-funded concentration camp for kids. It's supposed to be a concentration camp to uh, resemble ones built by the Finns in the Finnish war, even though that's a blatant lie, because that's just stupid, because if you know anything about the Finnish war, you know that um, such thing didn't happen, And but apparently, according to the Soviets, and now the modern-day Russians, the Finns built a concentration camp in Karelia, and so... They've built, using governmental and taxpayer money, a block-for-block model of the concentration camp where they're going to send kids on so-called patriotic holidays, which are going to educate the kids on how it was like to be in the camps. These holidays are going to be organized during school time, and it's going to open up in December, and little kids from schools will be taken and sent to these concentration camps in, well, Karelia, show them uh, some patriotic education and teach them about the life in concentration camps and, well, how it was like during the Winter War. Yeah, I mean, like, um, I don't know. Imagine if instead of building Disneyland for kids, you built concentration camps for them with guns and everything and guard towers. I just wonder if you've listened to my episode about uh, the prison system. Maybe you'll learn something about the smatryashi, or the guys who watched over them to make sure everyone lives by the prison rules. I think such a concentration camp would really benefit from one of those. At any rate, I apologize for this short episode, but hey, it's the 17th of November today, tomorrow's 18th, and I still have two episodes to do this month, which I wanted finally want to finish my Russian-Alaska thing, then I want to finish my Stalin thing, and we're going to be on to all of this situation. And, well, we're even going to look at what's happening in Russia, in the political situation there. So, forgive me about all of the situation, the Sudania, and, uh, yeah, I'm very sorry that the last episode was not on the Eastern Border homepage, it's just the fact that it tends to die off randomly lately. But it was on all the, all the feeds, and I'm happy for that, so, hey... Something good came out of that too. Do свидания, товарищ. Thank you for listening to the Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the Western Border to find you an answer. Like this podcast, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The eastern border salutes you. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The Dark Myths Void. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.